and welcome to episode six of Long Hair Do Care. I'm your host, Georgie Corkery, pronouns she, her, hers. Also happy to go by they, them, theirs. Uh, this podcast is about topics that fall under the niche yet broad umbrella of queer intersectional ecofeminism. Each episode has its own special topic that we discuss, and today's topic is going to be about the definition of bisexual. And to help me out with this is going to be our special guest, Beck Burkett. Beck Burkett is a professional and personal queer who has served the queer community for about 10 years and is now in my small circle of loved ones. So, hi, welcome, Beck. Oh, hi, thanks, Tricky. <laughs> um, I'm stoked to be here. I'm Beck Burkett. I use any and all pronouns. I'm more than happy to talk about that at a later point as well. <laughs> that is a uh, happily, rapidly expanding little group, but still unique. And yes, that is why I'm here, and I'm really excited to talk about it all. And I'm so excited you're here. I've wanted you on this podcast since the moment I knew I was actually going to do this <laughs> podcast. I did recently listen to some of my older episodes and edit them, and I was like, oh, goodness. <laughs> there are things that I want to change and do better, but do your best until you know better, and then do better. Absolutely. So that's that's uh, that's, that's what we're, I'm trying yes. to do. But yes. thank you so much for being on. Oh, of course. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Before we jump into the topic of of the definition of bisexual, we have to talk about the cats, wildlife, Teslas, and conscious content consumption. So to start, of course, we will talk about the cats. Yay. I'm going to go first, Please mostly do. because two of the cats may or may not be Beck's cats. <laughs> <laughs> so I see. I saw four cats this past week. One of them was Cookie, who I've mentioned before. There's Cookie and there's Crumb. They look the same. They're the same coloration. Mm -hmm. I forget what type of cat they are, but they look like cookies and cream cats. It's like white and black, like spots or like calico, one? maybe. That's okay, the word but like I was hoping the orange? for. With a little bit of orange. Oh, okay. So calico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Calico. Cute. They're so cute. But Aww. so I ran into Cookie on another run. All right. Cookie's great. Crumb's great. But I only saw Cookie. Mm. And then another cat was at my work at Roach oh, Charter High School. There's been this cat that comes up, stays on one side of the building. It's so cute. It's so vocal. It's so lovely oh. and so social. The kids, the kids, the kids mm -hmm. keep cute. feeding it, which they probably shouldn't because they're feeding it shit. Uh, yeah. Which is unfortunate, but it's a really cute cat. We're kind of figuring out how to deal with that. Mm. So that's cat number two. Has no name so far. And then Dada and Moira, who are indeed Beck's cats. They're indeed. so sweet. I may or may not have mentioned them on this podcast yet, but if I haven't, they're just so sweet. They have long fur. What kind of cats are they? They, I mean, they're mutts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm used to dogs, so that's like the equivalent translation that I know. They're mutts. Although I think the technical term and what I do their registration under for their licenses is domestic long hair. Okay. And Data is a calico, and Moira is a tabby. So that is the well. Like, Data looks two... like Cookie and Crumb. <laughs> okay, yeah, kind of two classifications, which is very funny. But they are from the same litter. 
But apparently I learned, because they were born in my house, actually just about a year ago, I just realized it was their birthday a couple days ago, so happy second birthday to my unexpected babies. (laughs) Um, And I learned last year, as we were dealing with brand new kittens unexpectedly and everything else, was that cats can actually have multiple sires for their litters. Meaning that they can have multiple types of offspring Mul- in a litter? that they can have multiple fathers without trying to use, like, a oh. gender term, which I guess sire is, like, still a gender term in its own right. right? That's so, pretty like, cool. I I knew that about dogs. There was also some weird Grey's Anatomy episode where that was true about <laughs> humans, and I don't know how realistic that was, but that's cool about cats. Yeah, so when the litter was born, there were two tabbies, two calicos, and then this weird little alien that like, <laughs> was the strangest cat, and my roommate, who we consider the dad of the cats, um, his <laughs> sister ended up taking. And yeah, this cat was definitely strange, runt of the litter kind of thing. Okay. Um, but yeah, two calicos, two tabbies, so clearly at least two fathers in the wow. litter. That's so um, uh, fun to think about and way to get it, Dada and Moira's mom. Right? Um, she, we renamed her because roommate's ex had initially named the cat, so okay. we decided to change that. Uh, we renamed her Yennefer after the Witcher series because she was kind of personified it in a weird way. The character okay. is like being like sassy and aloof and beautiful. And I haven't else. personally seen slash read yeah. read the Witcher series, but I know you've talked about it a lot. Yes, I feel like a street preacher um, about this series because I read the books a few years ago and was just like, this is the best series ever! I don't know if this! And um, like, nobody would. And then the Netflix series came out the first season and, oh, that's right. There is a Netflix series. Yes. Okay. And so I had kind of this completely split reaction as far as like, I'm so happy everyone's finally appreciating this now. And I was like, <laughs> I fucking told all of you about this years ago. Well, um, at very least, I'll have to link to it in the yes, bio. Please. Because and- you've talked about it in so many good ways. Yes, I really do love it. Um, I'm a pretty huge fantasy and sci-fi fan, and this series just absolutely blew my mind as far as just the realism of so much of it, and that good doesn't necessarily always triumph. Oh, and and that's my favorite premise for any book, any story, where there is good versus bad, and then suddenly it's muddled. Those are my favorite stories yes. because that's what life actually is. is. There's actually no is. black and white. No, and what I like as well is that so many of the characters deal with so much trauma. So much trauma. One of the main characters, I mean, she just like grows up with nothing but trauma essentially. <laughs> but they don't glorify it. They tell you exactly what's happening so you understand the level of trauma that they're going through. But it's not this glorification of this violence. It's just a very honest, like, this is absolutely Mm -hmm. fucked up and this is what happens in the world. It's not one of those TV episodes where somebody either loses a child or is sexually abused, which both of those things are terrible, but then in movies, it's just constantly referred back to and there's constant flashbacks it's unrealistic knowing and being someone who's dealt with issues similar to that. It's like, no, I, I don't have these 
vivid flashbacks that stop me when I'm in the middle of grocery shopping. Right. And if that is something that someone does relate to, way to have that representation. But for the most part, that's not how people deal with trauma. Yeah, it's a singular narrative, you know, and that whole recovery is not linear and everything else and what doesn't doesn't affect yeah. you, what triggers you in different situations. There's not a doesn't. lot of good representation. No, and so, you know, I mean, it's horrific, right? There's wars going on for a lot of the series and, you know, there's a lot of scorched earth politics see yeah. from this one invading so, in, in in Witcher. In Witcher, yes. Still talking okay. about Witcher. There's a lot of, of murder and sexual assault and everything else but it's it's not glorified. It's just kind of manner of fact as far as like, okay. these are the horrors of war. Well, that is something that I may or may not watch because I'm a little sensitive to that but I will plug it into the show notes so that people can link to it. Let me just quickly say as a disclaimer, okay. the TV show does not expressly deal with as much of the specifically sexual assault or as much of the violence as the book series does. So just for those who may be triggered by those kinds of things, I do recommend the Netflix series for that reason. And also then please, please, please do not read this series if you would be affected by those things because I would never want anyone to be offended by any of those things. So... Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the disclaimer. I wish I had that for every book and every yes. TV show that I've ever watched. That being said, let's jump from cats to the wildlife, wildlife. we've yes. seen this week. One of my favorite things about where I live is I have a giant trumpet vine in my backyard that attracts hummingbirds. Um, and hummingbirds are so beautiful. They're my favorite. I'm a birder. I love birds. I said I'd mention that every podcast, and here I am. I love birds. Can confirm. Um, <laughs> I never knew that hummingbirds squeak. Um, and they squeak, and it's the cutest damn thing you've ever heard in Can your life. you make the squeak sound? I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could. No, I've tried to get videos of it and stuff, too. It's just, it's a very, like, <laughs> you know, it's... It's almost a guttural squeak. But yet so high. <laughs> it's not a guinea pig squeak, which is what I just did so on repeat. So cute. I um, love guinea pigs as a side Well, note, I'm glad you saw hummingbirds. Do you know what kind? Um, no, I don't. There's, oh, I'm, I'm a bad birder, but I wish I was better. Uh, my plan is to be a good birder by the time I retire. But I That's know fair. that there's rufus, there's, oh, ruby throat. Okay. And that's it. That's all I got for They're you. They're kind of brownish gray. Let's go with Rufus. You know. Okay, I would think so. They're probably female, and I don't. I'm bad at yeah, identifying well, those ones. That's but... fine. All right. So but that's yes. your wildlife for the I week. I love it. Yes, today I caught. Uh, well, caught um, two of them sitting on a wire together as Which they flew off. Which is so cute. It was the cutest thing ever, and I love it. I can always hear them. But a cute moment where I've heard it and looked up, and they were just like, "Right, I love <sighs> in my garden," and it's fantastic. I, so. Yeah, hummingbirds yeah. are pretty magical. I have a friend who talks about when they were in a really dark place, they read this story about two hummingbirds and they just they took the magic from that story and were like, you know what, if there's something as beautiful as this in life I can keep going. So yay Aww. hummingbirds! And you know what, I totally relate to that. I have found myself so much in dealing with my mental health 
Um, I finally have a hammock. I bought the hammock like 11 years ago. <laughs> I finally have a space to put it, and it's up on my deck. And if I lay in it, it's very soothing. But then especially seeing the hummingbirds come Yeah, out, that's that a great is, spot to look at these hummingbirds. It's perfect, and it's just... it. I always just am so overwhelmed with the beauty of the world and everything. I'm just so grateful to be here. Mm-hmm. It's so grounding. It's so great. No matter how stressed I am or the anxiety attacks or anything else, it's so wonderful. So, I, yeah. Yeah. Hummingbirds are amazing. And just and to vouch beautiful. for the placement of this hammock it would absolutely look at the wires that these hummingbirds would be on and beck has a beautiful backyard and of course we all know that there's study after study that talks about how us being in the wilderness is so important for our mental health so absolutely yay hummingbirds yay wildlife that's why i like to talk about wildlife on this podcast because it does bring us a sense of joy and wonder. Yes. Even my plants do that. <laughs> Even the plants. <laughs> I love that. So for the Teslas this week, I saw 53 and five halves, which I believe is more than last week. But okay. I've just incessantly been counting Teslas and I it, it does help me while I'm driving because it makes me more focused. I always have the temptation. I know this is bad and people want to throw stones at me, but I always have the temptation to read my text messages and Mm. respond to them. And then when I'm counting for Teslas, it's like, I don't care about you text messages. I've got to be focused on the road. I have to look for these (laughs) Teslas on my way to work. I get it. I get it. I think this podcast, if anything, is good because it's removed the temptation for me to read my text messages. Oh, that's funny. So if anything else, we got that going for us. That's good. I, since I've known that you have started counting Teslas, um, definitely when we have been driving together, I'm like, look, 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 there's another one. What's your count at? Um, Mm -hmm. And everything else, which is cute. Which I really appreciated because sometimes when I'm in the car, Dane, Putterball, I'm calling you out. (laughs) I'd be like, oh, what number was that? And Dane's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, man, <laughs> I'm now. sorry to be so lame that I'm counting Teslas and stopping my conversation. No, I, I love Dane. Uh, Dane, you're great. But God, count Teslas with me. And I know you're going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, Dane. Whatever. Yeah, lots of shade. Um, I love Dane. He's the best. Yeah, but I have started <laughs> noticing them. And I appreciate it. I think it's really sweet because it makes me think of you. And, oh, well, I'm so happy. That. Yeah, so. That's great. I think this weird Tesla counting is slowly creeping into my <laughs> loved ones and my friend groups. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I had a friends years and years ago that instead of like punch bug, they did the um, Ragnar race oh, stickers. I've ran a Ragnar. Well, and that's what like, <laughs> so many people have. So it's like one sticker was one punch, but there for the multiple years. You, you could do all the one. punches. If it was a colored one, that was two. Oh, those games were always fun. Yeah. I like those. Absolutely. <laughs> well, next thing we got to cover before jumping into the topic of the day is the conscious content consumption. And really quick, as a reminder to everybody, I like to talk about the content that we consume because we are constantly consuming content Mm -hmm. and whether it's content that is bad, no offense to Flavor Flav or Bad Girls Club on MTV, that stuff isn't good for us. Maybe I'm biased and someone argue with me there. Full offense to the Kardashians. (laughs) (laughs) Whether it's bad in that aspect or good in terms of it's it's poetry, we're reading, we're learning, we're getting new perspectives, it's good 
to process what we are consuming. Yeah, absolutely. And to know where it's coming from and how it'll actually affect us. So that's why I like to do it. My conscious content consumption for the week is Middlesex, a novel by Jeffrey, I'm going to butcher his last name, <laughs> Eugenides. It's that's not how you say. I'm so sorry. Maybe I'll fix that later. But this <laughs> this novel, Middlesex, was published September 4th, 2002. I really enjoyed reading this book. My mom actually told me that she had read the book and suggested I don't because it was sad, and I fully disagree with her. The reason why I liked this book was because it was the first novel, first book in general, that I read that had anything to do with something that was gender bendy. Ah. Which is so important. We need more representation. Another reason why I like talking about conscious content consumption because representation it gives you the conscious content consumption gives you a platform for yourself. You can put yourself in those shoes. It's really important. So, (laughs) I'm going to read a little bit about middle sex. Middle sex is primarily a coming-of-age story and a family saga. The 21st century gender role chronicles that affect mutilated gene over three generations of a Greek family, causing momentous changes in the protagonist's life. The protagonist, Cal Stephanides... I'm... That's wrong. (laughs) The last name. You know, when you read books... Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. It's just in your head. Well, it's a quick sidebar. I've seen a really cute thing about not knowing how to pr- pronounce words while knowing what they mean. Yeah. It's a sign of intelligence to me because <laughs> it clearly shows that you read. You exactly. Know? Yeah, so, so anyway. sorry to Jeffrey, whose last name I can't pronounce, um, the author. The protagonist, Cal, initially called Kali oh. is an intersex man of Greek descent with a five alpha... <laughs> with 5-alpha reductance deficiency, which causes him to have certain feminine traits. The first half of the novel is about Cal's family and depicts his grandparents' migration from Greece to the United States in 1922. It's really beautifully written. The romance in it is wonderful. I was so drawn in, and I had no idea where it was going. It follows their assimilation to the United States when they moved to Detroit, Michigan. The latter half of the novel is set in the 20th century, and it focuses on Cal's, previously known as Callie, Callie's experience as a girl and teenager in his, her hometown of Detroit, and his escape to San Francisco, where he comes to terms with his new gender identity, because he does not fall into either category, but growing up seemed, looked, acted female, was happy about it, Mm -hmm. and then meets this other girl femme-presenting character, obviously is swooned by them, and this catastrophic event happens, and the book is just so good, and it's so enticing. It has a really wonderful ending with acceptance and 
I, myself, the daughter, the child of an immigrant, but not to an extent where it's really impacted my life. Right. Whereas being the daughter or son or child of a Greek immigrant or a person of color has to deal with these cultural shock issues. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the way that this family dealt with it and navigated through all that, I think, was really important. And it's such a good perspective. Oh, yeah, I can appreciate that. I definitely want to read this book. I think um, it's something that's been, I've realized more and more over the last few years, um, especially knowing that after post November 2016, and uh, <laughs> he, he shall not be named, and kind of the fear of protecting the rights of immigrants and everything yeah. else. I was so much more worried about a certain subset of my friends and my people, and it took me a lot longer to realize that I'm a first-generation American, and my mother is an immigrant to this country, and I wasn't worried about my mother one bit, because she's white. Yeah. And she's fairly wealthy. That's how my mom is, too. She immigrated from Australia, right? It's not this blacklisted or brownlisted country. Not to diminish it in any way, but my mom came from the Netherlands, and she's like, oh, it was fun that I had an accent. People liked me because I had an accent. Same. That's what everyone ever talks about when they meet my mom and, you know, kind of... Your mom. Yeah, exactly. Um, If I talk too much about it, the accent will come back. But it was very interesting as far as like, oh, this is is colonization, this is racism, kind of inherently, and everything else. But on the other side of my family, I do have Greek descent specifically as well. Oh, okay. Um, So that is also kind of very much piquing my interest, um, especially as somebody who is non-binary and has kind of this blend of that. So I'm very intrigued to check this book out. Yes, I will. I highly recommend this book. Jeffrey, the author, decided to write Middlesex after reading the 1980 memoir Herculean Barbin and was dissatisfied with the discussion of intersex anatomy and emotions which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Jeffrey himself does not identify as intersex, but wanted a better platform. Okay. And this book, Middlesex, it is a Pulitzer Surprise winning novel, okay. which I, I, I can't talk this book up enough. It's definitely top ten, if not top five. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm gonna share some quotes, like I do. I will warn everybody, the first quote's really long, so just bear with me. (laughs) (laughs) And if I read a little wrong, that's that. I'm dyslexic, and I'm representing other people Mm. (laughs) who are a bit dyslexic. First quote, here we go. I was thinking how amazing it was that the world contained so many lives. Mm-hmm. Outside in these streets, people were embroiled in a thousand different matters. Money problems, love problems, school problems. People were falling in love, getting married, going to drug rehab, learning how to ice skate, getting bifocals, studying for exams, trying on clothes, getting their hair cut, and getting born. In some houses, people were getting old and sick and were dying, leaving others to grieve. It was happening all the time, unnoticed, and it was the thing that really mattered. And that quote Mm. makes me want to cry. I love it so much. This quote specifically resonated with me because I often will go hiking up in the foothills out of Salt Lake City, and you can look down and you see all the lights, and you know there's a bunch of high school students out there who either one I taught or 
two, I was. I was this yeah. melodramatic high school student who wanted to be an athlete, <laughs> and I wanted to fall in love, and I was in love. Then I have my dad, who's getting older, and I think about his aging all the time, and it kills me. And then... I think about when I'm in my own house, how I'm studying, how I'm working, how I'm fucking editing this podcast, yeah. and other people are going out or staying up or going to bed early. Living all their individual lives. Yeah, yeah. and I have my, not to mention you again, Dane, but <laughs> Dane goes to bed so early, and I have all these other friends that go to bed so late, yep. and everyone's just living their different lives, and it does go unnoticed. And the fact that this book, kind of right off the bat, pulls in all these different spheres of life, whether it's grandparents yeah. from Greece when they were going through war, to this teenage girl who's in love with another yeah, girl dealing with virginity. Magnitude of human experience, right? <laughs> Which is so invaluable in a oh, book. Yeah, holy shit, that's awesome. Yeah, I that's something I reflect on a lot, especially having grown up in New York and the amount of people that live there, and everyone is just you know living their own lives, and we're all the main characters are our own story. And as much as I like to think of just how complex and networked my community is, my expanded community is, yeah, the small amount of people that that actually includes, even if you just think about Salt Lake itself, yeah, and, you know, everyone has this whole thing, and it's. It's fascinating, and it's crazy, and it's terrifying, and it definitely freaks me out environment-wise and you know, <laughs> everything else, but it is kind of incredible, and sometimes it's a it's a crazy way to be so awe-inspired and take a step back and just think about, you know, I th everything. I think it can induce... It can induce an existential crisis as well as some valuable poetry and some weird cosmic calms <laughs> right? yeah, cosmic calms super weird absolutely but yeah totally so that's quote number one and okay. hopefully that hooks everybody on to wanting to read it the next <laughs> quote way shorter it goes along with being non-binary transgender okay. intersex yeah biology gives you a brain life turns it into a mind I like that very much. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I like it much. too. Yeah, that's good. Though I mostly identify as cis, mm. pansexual, queer, polyamorous, I don't totally identify <laughs> with my body. I yeah, identify yeah. with my brain, and that's what I love. Biology gives you a brain. It gives you so much else. Life turns it into a mind, and taking brain as body and mind as personhood I don't know I ran with it maybe oh, I, I took it too far no I completely agree with you I'd even take it further I'd say it's not even just that we talk about uh, the brain is the biggest sex organ yeah right? so, you know, in the way and like we literally if our brains were just brains in jars with enough sufficient input we wouldn't know there's a Tennessee Williams quote that uh, each of us is trapped in the solitary confinement of our own skin Ooh. Because it's our brain that creates our own reality and everything else. That's a else. great so, quote. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, Tennessee Williams, the playwright. Okay. Um, I love that as well because we exist only in the mind and everything else in our gender and everything else, our expression of that is in the mind. Or even taking that a little bit step further about mental illness. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And that biology gives us a brain, but our experience, right? Our learned traumas, the scars that we yeah. have inflicted and inflict on Generational others. Generational trauma. 
drama, Je- which all, is so all the things, underwritten. All the things. Yes, that then give us a mind as in a personality, right? As in our yeah. distinctiveness or whatever else. A I personality, a gender, a sexuality, which yes. are all things that are vital to our quality of life. Correct. If we don't fall into the perfect picket fence, Uh it's a little harder to navigate just because so far we don't have enough representation, which, again, why I want to share this book, because it is such good representation. I'm going to move on to my third quote. Okay. It's a little bit longer. Here we go. It was one of those humid days when the atmosphere gets confused. Sitting on the porch, you could feel it. The air wishing it was water. Ooh. I purely wanted to share that quote because it represents how poetic this book is. Yeah. It every sentence is perfectly put together. It's a whole novel. I don't remember how many pages, but I assume <laughs> it's over 300 and it represents a multi-generational family that go through all sorts of sexualities, love interests, Problems, financial issues, Ugh. assimilation to the United States, right. assimilation to a war. Not to spoil the beginning, but there's a little <laughs> bit of a war. So I highly suggest that everybody read it if they can, if for nothing else, a broader point of view. Perfect. I love that. I would also like to add that I have, well, fun fact, I have drunkenly whipped out this quote many times in a bar (laughs) that the I hate to say the word condition but the trait of being intersex Mm. is as common as redheadedness Oh, percentage-wise, as I forget exa- the exact percentage, but the occurrence in the human genome is the, the equivalent. Those two traits. That's really interesting, so. and I hope moving forward in the future, anybody who is intersex can be themselves. Right. Can be themselves without shame. Live their lives. Hopefully, read this book and other books yes. for their own representation. Yes. Um, I'd also like to throw out that um, intersex mutilation on intersex babies is a super Ooh. common thing that uh, doctors will make arbitrary decisions over. That's horrific. That needs to stop. It's also something to, yeah, that was own... addressed in this book, which oh, I thought was so is. interesting. Oh. It was, it not to spoil anything, may or not be the catalyst to a okay. plot point. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, But yes, very much uh, advocating against that and to let people make their own decisions about their own bodies in all the ways. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk more about intersex at any point. If anybody who listens to this podcast wants to have that discussion, please reach out to me. I'd love that. But I wanted to dive into conscious content consumption with you, Beck, yes. because we did watch a movie together, and I Yay. love it so much, and I'd love to talk about it. So, yes. um, so this movie is Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Um, it is about Professor Marston, who is the creator of the comic Wonder Woman. I always try to give the disclaimer: the movie is obviously dramatized, so I don't. And you're <laughs> Which laughing. I experienced. Oh yes, we facepalmed and rolled our eyes together about a lot of the interpersonal drama that seems pretty unnecessary, and unnecessary, and in a true dedicated polyam relationship, the communication is there that this kind of shit wouldn't happen. So. 
With that aside, I it is the story of Professor Marston, his wife, and their partner. And of course, I'm using the terminology of the time that was allowed that I'm using now. So maybe they considered themselves different terms and just yeah. had that. Which as also well. wasn't explicitly addressed in the in, movie. In the movie, and I have not done enough research specifically into the actual history they are they were a throuple they were the three of them together living together having children together raising children together um and in the 50s and about the 50s yes which i mean if you can imagine how written off polyamorous people are today imagine how written off they were in the 50s absolutely and the film does address that to certain degrees and it's I mean, it's heartbreaking in a way, right? Because absolutely, like it's said, heartbreaking it's, today. It's hard enough, yeah, to be together today and make that work, and so to have that happen is tragic. And even after Marston's death, the two women stayed together for many more years and finished raising their children mm-hmm. and had a wonderful, loving, and passionate relationship, which is just beautiful. It was such a good movie for me to watch because I honestly, I haven't seen a polyamorous group represented Mm. in any movie before. Yeah. Knowing that it happened back then and this is based on a true story and that's where Wonder Woman came from. Not only that, Wonder Woman had a lot of kinky aspects to the comics because they learned what kink was. Yes. And though kink may or may not be a taboo subject to talk about, or you bring up the fact that, oh, I like kink, I like BDSM, mm-hmm. someone in the room oddly is like, ooh, okay, you like it kinky? Right. And they, they, they push the limit, and that's not what kinky is supposed to be. That's no. not what BDM is supposed to be. Nope. BDSM is supposed to be this consensual power exchange that allows people to move in a space where they feel most comfortable and most excited. Correct. And it was really cool to see the representation there and how they moved into it because no one just goes into kink or BDSM knowing what it's going to be and knowing how it's going to make them feel. Right. And I did like how they moved through that and learned about it as they went. That was good representation. Absolutely. I'd agree. And then even uh, specifically as far as, you know, again, invented drama aside. Yeah. The like, how can you like this? Blah, 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 blah. And then that conversation as well. Being how can you like this kinky, submissive thing? That was the plot point. Mm Mm-hmm. And the discussion around that as well. Um, And it's clumsy, even in a way the polyamorous representation is a little bit clumsy. It's not perfect, but also nobody's perfect, nothing's perfect. So in a way, all right, fine. But very much the same, and I appreciate that as well, that it was a very embracing or gentle and then they discovered that they like to do this too, and then that's fine. Yeah, the plot went... The plot went from they just they decided they liked each other. They decided they were gonna family. They decided they liked kink, and yeah. life goes on exactly. because that's how life goes. Happens. It doesn't have to be this big spectacular that needs to be put on display, which I felt like I've dealt with as a polyamorous person and as somebody who's enjoyed kink to an extent. So to wrap it up. I would say this movie, Professor Marston, 
is good because it has representation of polyamorous people, queer people, and people who are in the kink community. Yes. Though there are some points that are more dramatic that they need to be that Mm -hmm. you will roll your eyes at, it's nice that we have this representation. Yes, and it opens up some of the discussion. Absolutely. And I didn't know that about Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman's history, so it was fascinating and made me love that character more as well. Makes me like Wonder Woman significantly more. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So... Now we're going to dive into our topic. Our topic is the definition of bisexual, which I honestly didn't know until Beck told me. So don't mind the cute dog grumping yeah. in the background. We got some cute dogs that need some attention. Mm-hmm. I'll pet the dog while you tell us what the definition of right. bisexual is and how you learned about it. Yes, absolutely. So I did not know too much about it. Um, growing up and coming out in the ways way that I did, when I first came out, the term that I used to come out was bisexual. And to me at the time, that both described my sexuality and my gender as far as being half gay man and half lesbian. And I now understand fully having better and greater vocabulary as far as being a genderqueer pansexual. So I first had this discussion. Um, I was so blessed. Well, that's a gross connotative word. So lucky um, to go to the Interbride Conference in 2018 in Saskatoon. And I went to a workshop that day. So also with context, so this is 2018, this person at the time, and they are listed in the program as the name of Jacques Brasseur and using they and them. So that's the name and pronouns that I'm going to use. Maybe that's adapted by now, but okay, three years ago. And the workshop was called Standing By Bisexual and Pansexual Issues and Identities. Standing by. Standing by. (laughs) Jacques is from Fierte Canada Pride, and you are Pride Center for Sexuality and Gender Diversity. So that's their credentials. All right. Um, And the little blurb that is given here is, Bisexual and pansexual people make up the largest subcategory of the LGBTQ plus community, yet are less likely to be out of the closet, experience higher rates of anxiety, depression, and substance abuse than gay and lesbian people, and are more likely to experience sexual violence than gay or lesbian people. What does pride feel like for bisexual and pansexual people, and how can you be more inclusive to pan slash bi people in your organizing? Non-monosexual people are standing by, ready to party your pride, and just have us invite us in. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. I didn't know. know some of those facts in there about substance abuse and sexual violence, I don't know why it makes sense. But I couldn't give a good explanation. I think, too, maybe because it's not explicit. Me being myself, having been attracted to multiple genders, in that it was so easy to pass. It was right. easy to pass. I yes. didn't have to say, hey, I like women, so I didn't have to be pushed that way. And yep. I didn't have to be straight, so I, you know, I didn't want to criminalize anybody at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, and I um, I still have a ton of my notes, so um, again, contextually, I scribbled these notes down three years ago, so they may not be necessarily accurate stats, but they still speak to a lot of the things, that more than half of LGBTQ plus people are bisexual, oh. but there's only about 25% bisexual representation on TV. Oh, okay. um, so clearly the representation doesn't match up with the actual data. Yeah. And only about 28% of bisexual people are out. 
compared to about 71% of lesbians and 77% of gay men. Gosh, I feel, again, that that reflects the fact that you can pass. Yes. And if you can pass and you don't have to be shamed, no one has to throw stones at you. Absolutely. And I think that um, a lot of that... So it also says that um, 33% of bi men and 31% of bi women also doesn't include gender nonconforming folks, so we'll factor that in, have not disclosed their sexuality to a medical provider. Oh. And that's about only 10% lesbian population and 13% gay male population Which as well. I urge you, if you're somebody who sleeps with men and women, if Please you're somebody who sleeps yeah. with men who sleeps with men, say it because it is important for your sexual health if you're getting STI tests. Yes, yes. I, as an assigned female at birth person, I have had to insist and go back to clinics multiple times in order to get my actual full regular STI panel. Which is so unfortunate. They should just... Just do it. I have told them over and over like, <laughs> look, I'm I'm non-binary. I actually am at higher risk for this than you are telling me that I am. Mm-hmm. I know my life and body and everything else so much better than you do. And for me, this has happened at multiple clinics. Yes. Whether it's private one or Planned Parenthood, I absolutely do not mean to throw Planned Parenthood no, under the bus. Course. They are great. They rock. They're fighting for everybody. But Even because there. these discussions aren't commonly had, you have to vocalize these needs. Yes, yes. And so all of that, so I absolutely advocate, tell your doctor, insist on it, ask them to, if they refuse, ask them to note the refusal in the chart. Yep. Um, and watch how fast that will get you the care that you need. <laughs> um, it's definitely a real thing, but absolutely advocate for yourself. And then jumping back a little bit in my notes, and the main reason, the main conversation that we had a while ago that you asked me to come talk about this was um, the actual definition of bisexuality. Yes, this is what blew me away. I mean, maybe not blew me away, but I didn't know this. Yes, yes. So factoring all these stats and everything else, that in the not long, but recordedly long history of homosexuality being a disorder in the DSM and everything else... A disorder in the DSM? uh, The Diagnostic and Statistic Manual for Diagnosing Psychological Illnesses. Oh, I didn't know what DSM meant. Ah, well, once once upon a time, I was going to be a psych student. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so it was going to be a diagnosis in this system. Um, Being queer? I believe we are currently on the DSM-5 is the current version, and I do not remember at the current present of what version of the DSM finally dropped homosexuality as a disorder. Interesting. Yes. However, in all of this psychological categorizing and trying to understand humans and, you know, Alfred or whatever his name, Kinsey and his wife it's just as important. Um, Wives always get underwritten in science. Bullshit. But understanding or colonized, really, understanding of human sexuality, as far as then homosexuality, homosexuality was initially defined as being attracted to the same sex slash gender. Obviously, at the time it meant sex. Now, you know, we yeah. have a little bit more understanding of that. And then hetero, meaning attraction to the opposite sex. Yes. So we've got these two, same and opposite, or same and different. Homo and hetero. Yes. Absolutely. Homo and hetero. 
And then the term bisexuality came in. And a lot of people think that bisexuality means that I'm attracted to men and women. So they also then think that bisexual is transphobic yeah. because it reinforces the binary and everything else. And then, well, which how is do we... why I didn't like it. And which is why when you explain, we further explain this definition to me, I was happy to potentially embrace it. Reclaim, right. You know, and I I totally understand that, especially as a non-binary person, as somebody who is a huge advocate for trans rights, that the idea that bi is reinforcing the binary. However, bi is not referring to both men and women. Bi is remaining two as both homo and hetero. So that means both same and opposite gender or different gender relationships. Yeah. And therefore means exactly the same thing as pansexual, right? Especially if me as a non-binary person, if I want to say that I am bisexual, meaning both same and different gendered relationships. Yeah, as a non-binary, that's that includes makes sense. Yeah, then both non-binary and not non-binary people, how is that exclusive? You know, as say a woman or a man, right? I'm attracted to both my own gender and opposite genders, yeah. or different genders. It's um, more fluid than we thought. So or more fluid more. than I thought. Even in the limited understanding of the language at the time, that is still what they meant by that term. Especially that that is the first term that I used with my vocabulary at the time as having come out. I do still definitely use the term bisexual very proudly. I also love the term pansexual just because I'm a nerd and so, <laughs> and, you know, like pan and everything else and this and that. And, the other and thing. pan being not attracted to a gender, but a type of person, correct? Yes, absolutely. And, or, Which I relate to a lot, but by definition, they're not any different. No. You can be bisexual, but of course you're, you, ha- you're, you are attracted to a type. Absolutely. And it's also, I like purple a little more than yellow. So <laughs> I really like the bi flag for that. And um, The bi flag is pretty great. It is pink, purple, blue. Yeah. Oftentimes when I'm texting people and I feel all cute and happy, I'll send the pink heart that has stars in it. I don't know why there's... There's a, no regular pink there's heart. There's no regular it's, pink it's heart. So, dumb. so yeah. the pink heart with stars in it, purple heart, blue heart, and a lot of people don't know <laughs> what I'm sending, but I'm just like, oh, I'm so happy. And I'm not saying, oh, I'm attracted to you and I'm bisexual and I want to fuck you because that's What's not what that means. Though? Yeah. But it's just like, oh, I feel great. And here's my, here are my love hearts yes. sent to you through emojis. <laughs> In 2021. There you go. <laughs> no, but I get that. And so, yeah, pansexual is commonly understood to be attraction to all genders slash attraction to people regardless of gender, which I've always said people, not parts, you know, yeah. and everything else. And so I definitely still use the term pansexual. It's technically a better fit, but I still absolutely use bisexual and do yeah. not think that it's um, transphobic in the slightest especially as a gender non-conforming person. And I'm again, that's me. I'm not trying to speak for all gender non-conforming people, but still definitely going into that. Absolutely. And I think one benefit from using pansexual might be that it's more elusive. Yeah. However, the moment that you say you're pansexual, people have to ask you. And I wish that people could just leave it there. Yes. One thing I don't like about bisexual is that 
if I say that to some dude who's obviously straight, dude yeah. will be like, oh, so you like to fuck women? Right. And I don't want to be put in that place. So using the term queer for me as a blanket oh, of, I'm queer. And they're like, what does that mean? It's like, I don't ask you what it means to be straight, dude. Yeah. Well, and for me, the beauty of queer is that queer simultaneously describes both my sexuality and my gender. Hmm. Yeah. And so it's just like, dude, I'm queer. You don't even, you wouldn't know what to do with me. Yeah. You know, kind of <laughs> definitely, we were mentioning earlier, people that are like, oh, yeah, my wife is looking for a woman to get with. And I'm like, cool, that's not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Like, see you later. Bye. As in bisexual and good luck. Right? I'm like, yeah, thank you for putting me in this box before you even met me. It only, like, clearly says everywhere that I'm not a woman and all of that crap. So it's just it's it's fucking dumb. And and that's one thing about labels I don't like so much, but I know I'm gonna have a podcast about this later. Labels are so important, but they're more important, I believe, to the internal community of LGBTQAI+. Absolutely. Outside of that, it feels like you have to give an explanation, which no one is entitled to. to. Yeah. One of my great friends um, and somebody who has been a total mentor, whether they've meant to or not, in polyamory and queerness and everything, my darling friend once said something about, I don't care what somebody's genitals are unless I'm dating them. And even then whatever. It was just yeah. kind of beautiful. It was and a you don't way have to, to know. No. And to go even further in that, this might be a tangent, but I think it's related. Whenever I go to the farmer's market and I'm with a male friend or a male presenting friend, mm. everyone assumes that they're my partner. Yep. But when I go to the farmer's market with a femme presenting human who is my partner, everyone assumes it's my friend. It's friend. And it's so frustrating. Yes. It's also, I think, definitely inherent trait of the patriarchy, right? That, Absolutely. Like, it's very assumed that, oh, yes, you have to be this man, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, like, and you have to be coupled up. That's the yes. the biggest issue that I have is that I'm constantly coupled up with somebody yep. who absolutely is not my significant other and it perturbs me most when it's with somebody who wants to be sexual with me and I have absolutely no intention and I've tried to make it so clear that it's going to be platonic yep. but then society's trying to I reinforce this I cannot stand it so hard to I absolutely agree and it's also that our our sexuality is so assumed based on our current partners yeah. Or partner. Absolutely. You know, I think that's I, why the bisexuals can pass. Absolutely. I uh, was married to a cis straight man for years. And it was so many people, even throughout so much of my queer work and at different events, was like, oh, what's this straight yeah. doing here? <laughs> and I was like, come on, man. I came out when I was 16. My queer mm-hmm. partner has no bearing on... I think that's why when I started working in the queer community, I didn't tell anybody what I was. And it was a mystery, even for you, for a really (laughs) long time as to what that was. But being coupled and being judged on your current partner, I wonder if maybe that requires us to apologize 
to not the dudes, but the dudes' wives who yes. actually want to explore. Yes. They're oh. like, oh, I think I'm bisexual, but I'm with this guy and he wants to watch. And, and this is the best outlet I have. And maybe I'm reading the situation all wrong. But it's a pretty typical situation. Yes. Well, and it's also, I've encountered so much weirdness as well, as far as like, well, we're going to open the relationship, but she can only fuck women. Yeah. And only cis women. If any dude says that you can only fuck women. Run, homegirl. Uh, so much so. So I totally agree with all of that. It's definitely just patriarchal yeah. things, right? For sure. That is implemented through all of that as well. Then also segueing a little bit from that, some other last little stats and notes from this as far as the other part of the workshop, as far as how then do we increase representation, right? How yeah. then do we normalize it? How do Which, we do this? How do we... Again, representation is... The thing that I'm trying to go for that I put on a pedestal, <laughs> for better or for worse, representation is what we need in all aspects of yes. life. Yes, 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 yes. Anyway, so uh, specifically making sure that if you are throwing a queer event or a festival or whatever else, you have bi or pan, also even ace or arrow sexualities represented as much as the regular rainbow. Don't else. just have the one rainbow flag. No, it's so Look much into the other that. flags and it's going to add more color. It's going to feel way yeah. more. Yes. inclusive. Well, and queer is the only demographic that exists across all others. Yeah. All races, all creeds, all nationalities, all socioeconomic classes. All religions. All religions. And so to put all queer people into one category is... Into one flag. Yeah. You need to represent that. And I think that's what's so beautiful to me about queer as well, is that it, it is the one unifier across all other experiences. It just says that you're not straight. Yeah. Whatever that means. Yeah. Uh, well, you're not this Christianic, colonized <laughs> interpretation of what sexuality should be, yeah. you know, as well, which is ridiculous. And so making sure that those symbols are included, that that rep- physical representation is there. Also, biphobic comments or jokes or things like assuming and blah, 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 that yeah. you know, this person just don't don't allow that. Don't stand for that in your friends' group. Yeah, don't assume. It's going to make me feel bad. It's going to make any of your queer friends feel bad. Even if somebody looks queer, is flagging, don't assume their sexuality. That is not your space. Yes. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And don't stand for it. Call it out. Don't allow it. Yeah. Recognizing also the invisibility of bi, pan, or polysexual folks, especially specifically in different gendered relationships that, you know... Yeah. like we were just so saying, don't assume. And that goes so much more about how much more I've learned about gender as well. Glorious set of friends that they are both trans, but they both pass, quote unquote, very yeah. well. And so they get comments a lot of the time about, oh, straight couples at Pride. When, like, they yep. literally couldn't be more queer. You seriously don't know. It doesn't matter. Stop assuming and just let people live their lives. I certainly have friends that are a couple, both transgender in either direction, but that pass yep. as what they were born to be. Um. And it is so frustrating for them because they'll go out and people assume mm-hmm. that they're this normal heterosexual couple and it's just not who they are and they don't identify with it. And then they have a hard time coming into queer spaces yes. Yes. when they're like, no, 
I'm a gay man uh-huh. and I'm this a lesbian woman. Yeah, but we're also an intersection of queer. And maybe that's hard for people to wrap their brains around, but you know what? You don't need to wrap your brain around it because no. these people are just being them yep. and let them be themselves without questions. Yeah. And for God's sake, don't ask anybody how they have sex please, because if you're don't. a straight couple, I'm not going to ask one of your partners if the no. other one puts anything up anyone's asshole <laughs> because that's personal. You just don't do those things. You don't have to think about how other people have sex. Like I said, but like, well, the only reason I'd be, reason I'd be interested in your genitalia is if, if I, I was dating you. you. And even then, whatever. <laughs> exactly. I love that so much. So, I don't know if you had any more points that you wanted to share quickly. Um, Just very quickly, some very, very specific things to be aware of as far as polysexual and pansexual things. Um, a very specific event would be bi or pansexual speed dating. There's a oh. thing that you could do at your events or event. Bi Visibility Day is September 23rd. Ooh. So mark that in your calendars and celebrate that as well. September 23rd September is Bi Visibility Day. Yes, so that is coming up also to my fellow bisexuals. Be aware you will actually be visible that day. So be cautious for 24 hours. Your invisibility will resume the next day. <laughs> but just FYI, there's also a Bisexual Health Awareness Month in March. You know, especially like we were talking about earlier, talk to your doctor, advocate for yourself and to your healthcare professionals for that. And then there is pansexual and panromantic awareness and visibility on May 24th. And there is a polysexual pride day on June 4th. So polysexual. Yeah. Little things to add to your calendar and just to know. And I love this other little quote as well. It's if we wait for the moment, we all agree we'll never move forward. So yep. if you feel like bisexual doesn't necessarily apply to you and you feel pansexual is better then like absolutely wear the suit that is most comfortable to you. But it's just kind of like, don't yuck my yum. Right. And understanding that the That's history of bisexual is not transphobic. One of my favorite sayings is do not yuck my yum (laughs) i've heard a lot in the kink community but also in the queer community it's so good i've had some friends casually use it i mean i say i hate popcorn and nobody likes popcorn (laughs) people will give me the dead eye and they're like don't yuck my yum and i love it it's appropriate because that's a very simple example of don't yuck my yum be who you are take what identities what pronouns fit you Know that they can change in an instant, in a minute, in a day, in a week, in a year. And if people can't accept that of you, then maybe those people aren't acceptable. Absolutely. And also, let people enjoy things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Very similarly. Um, Well, thank you so much for having me on this, Georgie. I hope it was... Oh, my goodness. I was... I'm so happy you came on. I wanted this for a long time. To wrap up, I have to say thank you, AJ, so much for the intro music and outro music. AJ's great. (laughs) Becca's mate, AJ. So thank you, AJ. And as my dad always says, use your head and be clever. Bye, everyone. Bye.